Amen. Yeah, you can be seated. Hope everybody's doing well today. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. Um, <clears throat> hope it's been a good week and getting ready for uh, school. School's going to be starting soon, right? All the parents said amen, and uh, all the kids said, oh, okay, well, all right, I guess if we have to. Uh, so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a good week. I'm trying to get ready. You always feel like you forget things. Whenever you're getting all the kids ready and you're like, oh, we've got to go back to the store for that. Oh, we've got to get this thing and we've got to take care of that. Um, a lot of running around, so I'm praying for you uh, in that time in this season, if that's where you're at. Uh, if you're online, then uh, welcome as well. We're glad that you're here. So we're in this series, Enduring Faith. Um, and I love going through books of the Bible, and I've talked about this before, but it's, just, it's hard to avoid difficult things. Um, and as we kind of just read through every line and every text of a book, it forces us to deal with uh, difficult realities, things that maybe we wouldn't, or pages of the Bible we would normally go to uh, if we had a choice, um, but I'm thankful for that. And so we're actually taking the shift from 1 Timothy to 2 Timothy. Uh, when I was working through the series, uh, I, I was just praying and, and the Lord impressed upon me that it, it would be really good for us to understand what takes place from 1, 1 Timothy to Second Timothy, um, there's a big cultural and contextual shift. So um, the things that take place while Paul's writing in First Timothy change a lot. Um, there's a fire in Rome, uh, and so Nero, who is the emperor at the time in Rome, he's uh, probably one of the baddest uh, emperors there was. He was successful in a lot of ways, but he really hated Christianity. And so what he did was, when there was this terrible fire, uh, he, he at the end of it he said, "It was the Christians that set the fire." And so after blaming them, he was able to use that to, uh, to increase persecution. So much so that uh, you couldn't have been a, we would maybe consider a casual Christian or believer, somebody who would say, yeah, I'm, I follow Jesus without this fearful expectation or thought that you might have to leave in the middle of the night. Somebody might come uh, take you and take you to prison for believing in what you do. And then not even knowing for sure where you would go after that. Paul, when he's writing this, it takes place after that fire in Rome and after Nero has used this as an excuse to attack the church and to attack Christianity. And Paul finds himself now, instead of being relatively three, although he's imprisoned at different times during his missionary journeys and his ministry as a whole, now he really is finding himself in probably this place that's more of like a cold, dark dungeon, a place that he's awaiting, uh, basically a guy who himself was kind of like on death row. He was awaiting this opportunity to become a martyr. He wasn't going to leave this place. There wasn't this hopeful expectation that he was going to get out of there. Uh, And so he shares some things with Timothy knowing that the end is coming, and that's where we'll be for the next several weeks. So um, don't be depressed by that, but, but hear that Paul a guy who got taken as this individual who was approving of Christians being killed before Jesus got a hold of his life, as now this guy is just completely sold out. And he gives us this opportunity to see what that looks like. If we were in his situation, would we do the same thing? I think we need to ask ourselves those questions. And so in the series on Enduring Faith, uh, just the title for today is Real Faith. Um, you can't go from First Timothy to Second Timothy while... Paul was dealing with a lot of issues in the church, how it was run, what we were supposed to do, to 2 Timothy, and then realize, oh, wow, things just got really real, if you understand where he's at and where he's writing from. And some of the things that he's going to say are, are because of where he's at. So God has given him these words, and we get to read them <clears throat> today. 
And the phrase I was thinking of, just like, how, how do we hold on to text? Because I know we don't, like, most of us don't sit down and just, like, memorize large portions of the Bible. And so what do we need to take away from this? Well, my thought was just this, the real deal. And so you think about that phrase, a lot of things come to our minds. You know, if somebody were to say that to you and say, or about you, they're the real deal, it would be a good thing, right? It would mean this person, whether they are talking about your Christianity, they would probably mean something like they're really genuine or they're true or what they say is who they are or what they say is what they actually do. Uh, maybe when you think of something like a uh, precious stone, right? None of us want to go to the jeweler and, um, you know, get that diamond for that special somebody. And then, you know, months later down the road, you find out it's not the real deal, right? That would be a bad deal. That'd be a bad day, right? Um, and so we always want to make sure we're going, we're doing those things. We want to get the real deal, right? Well, um, I was thinking back to my experience too, just kind of going up and, and going on mission trips and going to different places. And I actually got to come to New York I was a kid in student ministry, so I was like uh, seventh grade, I want to say, so I just entered student ministry, and I had no idea what New York was like. <laughs> uh, we went to New York City, which is obviously not the whole of New York, right? So that was my impression of New York, and so we spent some time in New York City. It was just a few years after um, the World Trade Centers had come down, and so they were still kind of, they were picking up a lot of stuff, working on memorials and things, but it was still just kind of, um, there was a lot of debris and you know, stuff that you, you look at, and you're like, wow, like I... This is, you know, tough to see in person. Um, and so as we would, we kind of go around and visited places. Um, we were with a singing group, so we were doing that. Uh, and we came to um, this area where there there guys with trench coats. Like, I didn't really understand it. Um, a lot of guys with trench coats, and they would open up, and they'd have, like, watches, you know, and, and they'd have, like, glasses. And he'd be like, you want a Rolex? I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't have money for that, but I do. Oh, it's only $10. I'm like, what a great deal. <laughs> what a great deal. So on that trip, <clears throat> my first impression of New York from New York City, uh, I came back with some, you know, Oakley sunglasses. I think they were missing a letter, though. They weren't the real ones either. So got the bad end of that deal. And so I got back, and like, Mom and Dad, like, check it out. Rolex. Oakley's, right? Like, I'm styling. Like, I didn't have the money for those things, you know, then. Uh, but I was like, at least I'll look like it. And I think some of those things, um, they're okay, right? We have fun with that. Uh, maybe you like to have a Rolex, but uh, you don't have to pay uh, the real price for it. You can get a phony at a lot of places. Um, when I came back, I just, I was thinking about this. We would never want anybody to look at our lives and say, after knowing, oh, that person's a Christian, oh, that person's a believer, oh, they follow God, they read the Bible, they go to church, and then to have someone even have the possibility of having this thought, like, I'm not sure they're the real deal, or to question that, you know, our motives. And so, um, I was thinking about that as, as I was reading this because real faith changes a lot of things for us, doesn't it? So there's three things we're going to look at. Uh, maybe you've had some of those sunglasses. They don't last very long either. I don't know what the deal with that is, right? Yes, I wish they did. Um, so the first fill in the blank. <clears throat> so real faith changes who we are. Real faith changes who we are. So we've, we've talked a lot about like, what is our testimony? We, we talked about that last week. Um, uh, what do our lives look like before we knew Jesus? And maybe for you, uh, maybe you were just like a little kid, and you were like, there was this time when I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I know what he did for me on the cross. He went and he died on the cross for my sins. He was raised on the third day, and I believe that. But maybe you were like six, seven, eight years old, and you were like, I don't really know like, what were things like before then. I got an opportunity to visit with my mom um, last week. She was in town, and um, I, I asked her, I said, so I know kind of roughly when I got saved, and um, I was a little bit of a troublemaker, if you can believe that. 
and uh, caused a lot of issues at home. And um, I said, so, you know, when did things kind of change? When, like, behaviorally, when did stuff start changing? She's like, I don't know, eight or nine. Well, I got saved when I was seven. And so I thought, okay, well, that's, that's good, right? So some things started to change. Well, maybe for you it happened, like, later on in life, maybe in college, maybe it's 40, 50, 60. I don't know when it may have happened for you when it did. But the truth is that if we really had a change in our lives, if we really encountered Jesus, then um, it should change who we are. People shouldn't look at us and see the same person they saw all those years ago. And the cool thing, and Paul talks about this in Romans as well, uh, this, uh, this idea of progressive sanctification should be taking place in our lives. So we've made a decision to follow Jesus, and then as life progresses, we should be becoming more like him. Um, I love visiting with our um, older saints, and I'll read this verse in a second, but I want to share one more thing. I was thinking about this morning um, when Esther was out. She was at the hospital and, and then went to a, a rehab place, and I got to visit her in uh, some of those uh, spaces. And when I went, we were just kind of talking about life and um, you know what things you know, we should be happy with and be joyful with and be content in. And she said this to me. She said, you know, I, I've never gone without a meal, and I've always had clothes, and, and I'm thankful for that. Like I've, uh, just the perspective of someone who's at this phase in life, who's followed Jesus for a long time, I think that's important for us to remember. Because as we read this, like Paul's towards the end, and he's going to be going to become a martyr. And if we don't think about some of these things, the implications for our lives right now, like I know some of you may be thinking, like, I'm, I'm 12, so like, it's not that big of a deal. Well, things can change too, right? They changed drastically for the Roman Empire and for where Paul was at. So what does it say in verse 1? It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So who was Paul? His name was Saul before he knew Jesus. He was this guy who he was standing by in the book of Acts, if you look at this account, and there's a guy who's one of the first deacons. So it's, I always say, like, deacons is not an easy job. He, he is um, uh, going before a group of angry people, and they stone him to death. This guy's name was Stephen. And so Stephen, who was one of the first martyrs, uh, <clears throat> Where was, where was Saul during that time? He was actually standing by, watching the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen. And the text tells us that he was looking on in approval. This was before Jesus stopped him on the road and said, hey, you're going to serve me. And so um, I always love talking to people too about like, has your life changed? Have you, have you come to know Jesus Christ? Has there been that, uh, that space in your life where you have? And some people will say, well, if they haven't, I could never... I could never know Jesus. I could never have this personal relationship with him. In fact, if I were to come into church, like, I'm pretty sure the building would catch on fire. And I've heard that before, and I'm going like, man, there, there is no reason why anybody in the room, anybody in the world cannot have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and Paul here, like, when we see the words here, God picked him out. Like, if, if you were looking like the people that Jesus picked as disciples and God used, like Paul you would probably be going like, I'm not sure you should use that guy, <laughs> right? So as Paul, he's sitting in a dungeon, he's kind of thinking about his life, and he's like, man, I, I started following Jesus, like he radically transformed my life. Was it worth it? Well, here's where he finds his identity. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. This sounds like a guy who's like, I'm not sure it was worth it. No, he's like, here's who I am. Here's my identity, and it changes who we are. The second thing is uh, real faith changes how we care, uh, how we care about people, how we interact. Uh, verse 2, it says, To Timothy, my beloved 
child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Paul did something else on his journeys. In fact, um, Timothy, he, he may not even have the opportunity to pastor or go on missionary journeys or do some of the things that Paul took him along for if Paul hadn't said, hey, you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull you out. See, Jesus, he, he radically transformed my life. So here's what I want to do with you. Paul could have just gone like, I think I'm good. You know, I don't really need to bring anybody else along. I can do this thing. In fact, he did a lot of stuff on his own. But when he saw Timothy, we're going to see he says some things about him. And he pulls them along on this journey. And I, I wonder, um, I always ask people too, like if you've been a believer for a while, like do you have somebody that you're investing in? Yeah, and we, we probably, most of us would say, well, if you have kids and yeah, I'm investing in them, that's where I spend most of my time, right? Uh, I'm taking care of them, I'm teaching them. <clears throat> but no matter where you're at, um, we can't really get around this relationship that Paul has with Timothy and Timothy has to Paul of discipleship. Um, and it's one of those things I've been praying about a lot lately um, how do we, you know, how do we do that better? What does that look like um, in the church? But it's clear that Paul had the serious care for Timothy. And Chris Ostom, who was a church father, said this about this relationship, this discipleship relationship. Those born of us physically are not loved purely on account of their virtue, but out of the force of natural aff- uh, affection. But those born of us of faith are loved on account of nothing but their virtue in Christ. For what else can it be? So why do we love each other here? Why do we care about each other? Why um, do we say, oh, when somebody's hurting or when there's a need, like we feel a tug or a pull, you know, on our hearts to meet that or to minister to somebody within our faith? Uh, because that's good and that's right. And as Paul's life has been changed, he's not only been changed as an individual, but how he cares has been changed, right? And a lot of times people do this. They'll just say, well, I'm saved. So I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to talk to anybody else about that. I don't need to share my faith. I don't need to bring, wait, I need to care about somebody else enough to kind of bring them alongside and say, hey, how can I help you become more like Christ? Well, that's an expectation on our lives. And sure, we should do this for our kids. But we should also do this with others. I, I love the relationships that we have in here. I think about, you know, all the different things that we call each other. Nice names, by the way. Um, <clears throat> so... I, we were at the picnic a couple weeks ago, and um, I heard Alana, we were talking, and, and she, she was talking about Kathy, and she said, you know, I'm going to go over there and meet with uh, Grandma Kathy. And, uh, you know, I, I always lo- I love those kind of relationships we have because they highlight something, that we're a spiritual family, that we care about each other. And we're not just going like, you know what, your kids are over there, you guys are over there, you're in your space, we don't care about you, you do your thing. That's not what it's supposed to be about, Right? We're supposed to have these relationships where we can invest and care in one another. And um, although when I first got here, I was like, everybody's related. That is, <laughs> I did not know that's, uh, that was the deal, okay? Uh, but, but we're not, right? We're related spiritually, right? Okay, so we should. Then you get to verse 3, and it says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So one of the things that Paul's dedicated to, so he's not only his, who he is has been changed, but, but how he cares has been changed. He's not just like, hey, Timothy, you know, come along with me, kind of you know, look at some of the things that I'm doing. If you could emulate that, if you could do those things, um, then it'll go well for you. you know, you'll have a good life. Um, God will be like, you know, good job. You're following Paul's example. But he takes it a step further than that. And this comes to this area of prayer ministry, I, uh, which is always tough. I always feel like we, we have a hard time even praying like, for ourselves sometimes. Like We're just like, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to talk to God, but we should be. 
Uh, but Paul takes it a step further. Like, what's he doing when he's sitting in that dungeon? Like, maybe he doesn't even have any you know, ability to do anything else. What is he going to do? Well, he's, probably singing, he's probably singing some songs, if I had to guess. But he's, he was also spending some of that time praying. And he tells him here, I thank God whom I serve. Can you imagine thanking God, like being in the situation that Paul was? Thank you, God. I'm in chains. And I'm awaiting martyrdom. Thank you for that. And then he says, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So who's Paul praying for? He was praying for Timothy, and he was praying for the church in Ephesus. And the whole church would have actually, when they got this letter, uh, always when when a church would get a letter in the New Testament, it would be addressed to a person, but it would also be addressed to a body of believers, a church. And they're reading this. Can you imagine what these people are thinking like? Paul's in chains because of the gospel. And he's saying, I thank God who my serve. as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers. Like he's not going, let me write to you about all the terrible things that are happening. Like, oh man, here's what's going to happen to me. You guys really be praying for me. And at times he'll ask for prayer. But when he starts out the letter, he says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. People always ask me, they say things like, well, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, you know, for the church or in the church, I'm just so busy. And like, you know, we'll talk about gifts too, by the way. We should be using those. But uh, people ask me, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, how am I supposed to help? How am I supposed to be a part of the community? One of the things I always say first is, well, you can pray for everybody. Be like, what What do you mean, like, everybody? If you want to, Yeah. And it's not hard. I, I kind of just um, walk you through some of the things that I do um, on a weekly basis. We have this cool thing, the church directory. You get on your phone. You get it online. Um, what I first started doing when we came here was just um, taking everybody's name, just like going down the directory. And I do this every week. I've been doing it since we came here. And I just pray for every person. And then I was like, you know what? I can do more than that. I think I could do more than that. So I took those and I copy and pasted everybody's names. And I started, as I'm talking, having conversations with you, asking how things are going. I'm just like... Now you can get on your phone, right? And you can edit things. And so I'm like just adding things. I'm changing things. This is going on right now. I need to be praying for that. Oh, there's some extended family. Oh, there's some friends and things that are going on. Let me pray for those. Um, And I do that every single week. And sometimes we just think like, I just don't have time, right? But what's one simple thing you can do? Paul was limited in every other possible way that you could think of. Like he couldn't physically be there with the church, with Timothy. He couldn't disciple anybody in person. So he's writing this letter and he's saying, and I am praying for you night and day. Sounds like he's praying a lot. Good use of his time. And so what can we do? Well, simple things, right? If we really care about each other, which we'll say that we do, I don't know. I know we do. I know we're praying for one another, but just take it to the next step, right? Say, hey, God, how, how can I really meet the needs in prayer for those that are around me. And so we care, we'll pray. And what if we care, we'll gather, right? We're good at that. Verse 4 says, I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And there's times that, um, maybe we wouldn't describe everybody like this, but there's people we really love, people we really love. Um, Being around, friends, family, hopefully our church family. Um, I got a call from uh, my best friend, he's in Texas, had a lot of health issues. His name's Clayton, and um, I didn't tell him I was going to share about him. Um, but it's been a long journey for him. last 10 years, um, he had uh, some health issues that nobody really knew how to diagnose. And so the years are going by, and as you know, if you've experienced something, it's like a health-related thing that nobody knows what it is, but it's just debilitating. kind of takes a lot of your life, your time. 
can't work, he can't do all those things, and that was his life. And just kind of coming out of the other side of that, there's been a lot of positive things happening lately, and um, it's been a joy to me. So he's been calling me, and I've been praying for him for, that's probably been 12 or 13 years every day for specific things. And we always kind of go to, like, well, I'm praying for that, but I don't know, I don't know if God's going to answer that. And so years later, God's answering some of these things and bringing back life and uh, encouragement. And so that's been a blessing to me. And so, you know, we always think about people like we're praying for and we want to be with and spend time with, but, but who really do we feel this way about? As I remember you in my tears. He's praying for the church. He's praying for Timothy. And he's crying over these things, like for these people who he knows are going to go through the same type of persecutions. They're going to get drug out of their houses. Like nobody's coming in the middle of the night to drag us out of our houses, right? Nobody's burning the church building down. Um, nobody's coming and saying, like, this is illegal. You can't do this. All you have to do is say that Jesus is not Lord and that Caesar is Lord, and then we'll leave you alone. Can you imagine, like, having to have that conversation with somebody who, who if you go, no, Jesus is Lord, guaranteed that you're going to get hauled away. You're going to get taken to jail, and you're probably not ever going to see your family again. Like, as we think about the reality that we deal with that, Paul's in this position, and he says, I remember your tears as I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Imagine being in that place. He's praying for me. He's like, I wish I could just be with you guys. And we receive um, such joy, don't we? I love the word here in the Greek. Um, the, the way you say it is kara. Don't you like that? Kara's like, yes, my name. Greek it means joy, right? The joy, gladness, the joy received from the cause or occasion of another person's presence. Isn't that cool? I think we experience special joy when we're here together. Um, I love when we got together a few weeks ago at the picnic and we just got to experience that. It was a special time, wasn't it? Um, just singing and doing some of the same things that we would normally do in a church service. And Paul's like, I wish I could have that. And he would never have that again with the fellowship of the believers. And so what's our perspective? Well, we, if our life has been changed, if we've actually met Jesus, then something's going to change in us, right? Our lives are going to look different. And then how we care is going to change. We're actually going to be like invested with people. We're going to be I'm trying to meet needs. We're going to be praying for them. We're going like, I, I really am looking forward to the next time that we're going to be together. And so we have to have this perspective. And then in verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwell in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Now, some people read this and they go like, oh yeah, faith is passed down. It's just given to the next line. And they just automatically are faithful. They're following God. Well, that's not always the case. And for us as believers, we know that each person makes a decision to follow Jesus, okay? So you get the opportunity to hear the word, the knowledge of truth, the gospel, and you get this opportunity to make a decision. And so Timothy, although his dad was probably in the picture, he just wasn't somebody who was following God. And so Paul references here, he goes, I'm reminding your sincere faith that, by the way, you had an example of in your grandmother and your mother. And this was before Paul picked him up and took him and said, hey, here's what you're going to do. Um, you're going to lead the church. And he's like, I don't know if I can do that. And here's what he says about him, about the sincere faith. In the Greek, it's the anapokritos, um, this undisguised faith. We're walking around a lot of times, too. We live in this culture that um, doesn't have to deal with the persecution. So Paul's writing to a people, and he, when he says sincere faith, he's going, it's a faith you'd be willing to die for. Like, oh, that's that's. Not just sincere, but it's a ser- serious faith, isn't it? So Paul says the sincere faith. Sometimes I think we wonder, well, how do we know? Like, how, how are we like living our lives? Ultimately, the things that we say are kind of what people go off of, some of our actions, but they don't see everything. 
And so how do we measure ourselves? How do we say, do we have this sincere faith that we're really pursuing after God? I always love going back to Galatians and the fruit of the spirits. If you look just a few verses before that, you'll kind of see this list of things too that go, here are some things that somebody may not have a sincere faith if they say they're following God. And when Paul, he also wrote the book of Galatians to the church in Galatia, and he was trying to get them to understand it's not okay to not have a real or sincere faith. And here's what he says to him in Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I'll read that. <clears throat> but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Most of us should know it, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul said, here's what the church should look like. And as he's, as he's waiting for martyrdom, he writes back to Timothy and the church in Ephesus, and he says, it matters who we are. It matters how you live. It matters how you care for people. And Paul was the example of that. So here's the last one. The real faith that we have, well, it's going to change how we live, right? So we've got who we are, how we care, and how we live. And so in verse 6 it says, For this reason I'm re- I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you, the laying on of my hands. And not everybody has the same gift, right? We all have different gifts, different abilities, um, things that God has blessed us with. Um, even given us in the Spirit. So when you become a believer, um, the, the Word tells us that we have these special gifts that God gives to us, spiritual gifts. Um, and if you don't know what those are, visit with me afterwards. I'd love to help you um, work that out. But Timothy, you guy think that maybe he's a leader of a church, and you know, does Paul really have to say to him, hey, keep up, keep it up, keep using your gifts, keep fanning that gift into flame, which was given to you by the laying on of hands now, maybe some of you, you're like, you got the gift of hospitality, right? So you're like, I like to serve, I like to make things. Um, so maybe you're in the social committee. There's so many spaces you can serve. There's so many areas you can get involved. And so when people tell me, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, or I don't know how to get involved, there's a place for you to do that, isn't there? There's always a space for you. If you don't know what that is, I'd love to talk to you about it. So if it changes how we live, like we come to church, we are faithful to God, um, our, our lives will change, but the way that we actually live out those things in the church, in our communities, should change. We should be doing something with the abilities God has given us. And I love the last verse we're going to look at here today. We'll look at a couple of words. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and of self-control. Man, the world seems like they're really struggling with fear, don't they? Fear's always been around, but this actual word here, it says, for God gives the spirit not of fear. The word here that he uses, it's actually not the same word that he uses for like reverence or fear of God. It's a different word. So the word here uh, is um, delia, and it's this word that refers to like a worldly, like um, just crushing fear, weight of anxiety, um, timidity, or cowardice. 
it's like you know being confronted by something that's scary you know to you, um, and then dealing like well I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. Well, I think we see a lot of this in our culture, in the media. Something gets you know put up, and we're like oh no, you know what are we gonna do? Like our you know our world um, is over, and we operate in these different modes, and it's been really difficult lately. Um, I think for a number of reasons. But if you've ever been in like, um, I think about those cars, those like fancy cars that have like a mo- have like mode button, you know? You're like, I want to go fast. So you like put it in sport mode, right? Or something like that. I don't know. Uh, or you know, it's snowy, so I got to go in winter mode, right? There's all these different settings on it. And even as believers, like Paul's trying to help the church and he's going, you can't keep operating in this mode. And, and can you imagine talking to a group of people that were like, if you're really, if you're really the sincere faith that I talk about with Timothy, then... Things are about to get real, really fast. Like you could be killed for the faith that you have. And then he reminds them, hey, we've gotten this cool thing. It's called the Holy Spirit. And here's what God's given. He gave us a spirit not of fear. So we can't, and it's hard sometimes too, right? Because we wake up, we turn on the TV, and we're like, oh man, gas. That's so expensive. How are we going to make that work, right? Oh, there's a new strain. Oh no, fear mode, right? We've got to just change the dial, right? and say, I'm going to operate in power. The Spirit gives me, all right? Now, there's real things to worry about. There's real stuff that we should, but, but I've liked, like, so much of the time, like, the, our culture and our society is just pushing us towards that, like, fear, 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 instead of trusting God. And Paul, you can imagine, he may have had some reasons to be fearful, but he said, that's not how I'm going to operate, because that's not the Spirit that he was operating in. You believe that? Like, Jesus, who was with the disciples, he kept saying, like, I'm going to go to the cross, and, and he would say, like, you know, trust me, you want me to do this because then I'm going to send the helper, the Spirit. And so when somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus, we believe that the Holy Spirit um, indwells inside of us, right? It's really cool. The Holy Ghost, sometimes people talk about him like that. It's not scary, but it's a power that we have that other people don't have, right? So we, instead of just being stuck, like instead of just always being stuck on fear mode, Paul's talking to the church, and he's talking to Timothy, and he's going, don't be afraid like the world would want you to be afraid of them. Like Nero, who was just looking for an excuse. He's like, I just want to get rid of Christianity. It makes me angry. I don't like it. I want to get rid of all those people. And what did he want? He wanted everybody to operate in this mode of fear. So let's turn the dial. His not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. I've been praying a lot over um, this passage. Sometimes we too, we, it's not just like the world around us, like the social things that are going on. It's not just the news, the media, but it's like our own family situations. It's like relationships with friends, coworkers, families, and we're just like, how do we navigate this? Because at times it gets really hard. And how do we not operate in fear? Well, he's given us a few things. As we have the Spirit, which provides us with power. I love the word here, the word dunamis in the Greek. It means strength, power, ability, inherent power, residing in th- a thing by its virtue or <clears throat> its nature. It's not like we have to go like, okay, like I'm safe, like God, the Holy Spirit, I need you right now, like we always have it. I think sometimes we think like, I'm just having a bad day. I'm going to leave it on fear mode. I just can't even, I can't do this, God. I'm freaking out. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to change it. No. Paul's going like, guys, you have a spirit of power. And it's not like you have to worry about it getting turned off. See, we make a decision to do that. But Paul says, and God's saying to the church here, we have a spirit of power. So when things are going on, we're just like, we're freaking out about it, or maybe relationships are hard or damaged at times, we go, God, give us power to navigate this, right? 
Um, Acts 1.8 uses the same, uh, same word here. You've probably heard it before. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what has God given us the ability to do? Like when things are tough, when it's hard to do the right thing, when it seems like that fear from our, like our situations, our lives is creeping in. Remember where Paul was. He was writing from a cold, dark dungeon. If you look through the scriptures, you see how he talks about not having the right clothing. Uh, and so imagine that situation. And we're in the lives that God has given us. I was just thinking about that this morning. We were singing, and I was like, man, I was holding my baby, like my other you know, bigger baby, my wife, uh, and Hannah, who's back there. I was just thinking, like, uh, we're blessed beyond imagination, aren't we, in the lives that God has given us? And we, just, we complain so much of the time, right? And you read the book of James, which we start in the quiet time today. Uh, if you look at the little kids' quiet time, it kind of talks about that. Like, what can you do, do to help? What can you do to serve? What can you do to the right thing? And one of those things was like, being thankful and not complaining. Being thankful that we get the opportunity to serve. That we're not being drugged off. They're not being sold, told, you can't read your Bible. In fact, we're going to burn all the Bibles. You can't do that. You can't look at them anymore. You can't go to church. But we're here, right? I just I think about that where Paul was at. So we've got this spirit of power. What else do we have? We have the spirit of love. Um, a lot of different words, by the way, in the New Testament, in the Greek, for love. Um, in English, it just doesn't really work right. So in the Greek, this word is unconditional love. Like in English, we would say, like, yeah, we, we love burgers, right? But I also love my wife. And I also love my kids. And I also love my friends and my church family. All those are different types of love, right? So when Paul says this, he goes, we've been given a spirit of love. And this uh, love is actually only possible. He uses this word for a specific reason. Agape love is only possible through knowing Jesus. So you think about that and you're like, wow, like that's really cool. Like the scripture uses these words in association with becoming a believer, so knowing God personally, and then the relationships that we have as believers. You are able to unconditionally love one another and the world, like when it treats us wrong, right? Because it does. Most of the things that we have to deal with now is just like, oh, they said something mean, right? So we can still unconditionally love, right? Because we have the truth and we have these relationships that God has given us. Last one, self-control. Oh, that's a really hard one. Spirit of self-control. Sophronis in the uh, Greek just means to be disciplined. And the meaning here is um, an admonition or calling of sound mind to moderation and self-control. So we don't operate in this mode of fear, right? So is the rest of the world just going like crazy, like they're being fearful, they're they're responding like really aggressively and angrily to things. Like how dare, it's just like you turn on the news now and it seems like it's really been the last couple of years just more heavily. Everybody's operating in such fear and such anxiety and such like just I'm so out of control. What's going on? I can't believe this. The other thing happened. But then we're also cause oriented too, right? So we'll jump on the bandwagon or we'll put something on social media and we'll be like, you're a terrible person because <laughs> you believe this or you do that or people will take to the streets and like riot and smash things, set things on fire. <clears throat> and Paul's going, look, Nero blamed us, right? He blamed the Christians on the fire, but that's not who we are. By their very identity, Christians are self-controlled. He says we have to operate in the spirit of being self-controlled. So real faith, what does it do? Well, it changes who we are individually. Um, 
you know, we, we can hide a lot of things from people, I think, too. Um, it's really easy for us to do that out in the world, even here at church. Um, <clears throat> I, I always say, like, you can hide a lot of things from people, usually not your spouse, usually not your kids, right? They're, the, they're a pretty good compass for your life. So if you're like, I'm not sure, in Galatians, which set of things do I match up with? Somebody who's following Jesus being faithful. It's not that we don't have a hard day, right? But, but how do we match up? How does the whole of our lives, you might ask your, your spouse or your kids and myself, controlled. Maybe not all the time, hopefully most of the time. <clears throat> so it changes who we are. And it changes how we care about people. Like, when we come here, this should be a place of encouragement, right? Of lifting up, of loving one another. And then it changes how we live. So we come here to this place, and as we go and we go out and we do things, like we shouldn't be the person who, you know, I always think about this, like the, the person who when we come walking up, <laughs> you know, we come walking up and somebody's like, uh, I hope they're not coming to talk to me because it's probably going to be bad. They're usually unhappy. They're not nice. Like, as believers, what should we operate in? Well, it changes how we live, too. And if that's the case, what are we supposed to be operating in? The spirit of power, love, and self-control. So when the rest of the world looks at us and they're, like, asking, hey, did you see this thing on the news? And you're like, yeah, I saw it. What are we going to do? I mean, like, the world is going to, I mean, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. Like, God is good. Like, bad things can't happen. God's faithful, so I'm going to focus on that, right? So we won't lose our minds, right? We say we operate in the spirit of power and of love and self-control. And you know what? God can handle anything, no matter what comes our way, whether it's health, illness, um, whether it's um, a family issue, whether it's a job situation, whether it's whatever's going on across the world, right? God can handle it. And so we say we don't operate in this mode of fear. As Paul's talking to the church, he's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. What do we have? Power, love, self-control. I'll close with this quote from a theologian, Philip James Bailey. He said, It matters not how long we live, but how. I first read that, I was like, that was really short. I felt like he was supposed to say something else. And then I read it again, I was like, it matters not how long we live, not how long we live, but how. What he was implying was it matters how we live right now. So our lives should be changed we should care about people, right? People who are sitting in this room, other believers, the world around us, because they're lost and they don't know Jesus. And then real faith changes how we live, doesn't it? People should see that and they should look in. And so I wonder, maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm, I'm saved, like I have a relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. I believe in what he did for me on the cross. He was raised this three days later and I'm like, I'm in. I'm in the church. I believe that. So like, what's the next step for you? I, I don't know. I mean, like... <laughs> Your relationship with God is different than mine. And so I think you just need to, maybe just today, just like go to the Lord and say, God, what, what's the next thing do I, do I need to do? Like maybe you're, you're just going like, if it changes who we are, like maybe I just need to make an adjustment. Maybe I need to make that more clear in the way that I live. Uh, maybe if it's like, I don't really know that I care about other people. And, and guys, you can be in any space in this room. You can be a believer and just like be hard and calloused towards others uh, and go like, I just don't know that I care about anybody else. And, and God, through Paul, was telling the church, like, we have to care about one another, right? We can't just come in and out of this place and be like, I don't care about anybody. Paul says, you got to care. Care about who we are and how we live. Maybe you just need to take that next step. You're like, I'm really, like, I, I love what the kids shared a couple of weeks ago. Um, we were talking about camp stuff, and, and um, <clears throat> Carson had shared in particular. He just said, I just want to be like somebody that when people see me, 
Like they know I'm a Christian. Like I just want to live that out so well. That it's not just like when I'm at church, but when I'm at football practice, when I'm in you know, the school hallway, people are like, that guy knows Jesus. And that's what we should all be saying. Like if, if that's not who we are, we've got to make an adjustment. But maybe you're in here today and you're, you're, just, or you're listening online and you're going like, I, I, I don't know, maybe I've not really understood what that's about. Maybe I'm not really sold out for the Lord. Uh, maybe I've never really made that first time decision to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And so I just want to give you that opportunity today. Um, it's as simple as this. Admit you're a sinner. <clears throat> we all are, right? Everybody makes mistakes. Believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that three days later he got up. Nobody else has done that. So he conquered sin in the grave and in doing all that, he took on all of our sin, past, present, future. We don't have to bear the weight of that. By the way, when you walk out of this room, there shouldn't be any weight on you, right? Because Jesus died for all those things. Those things you'll do later today, maybe. <laughs> he died for those things, right? That's good news, isn't it? The last thing you need to do is just say, Jesus, I believe all these things that I've already said. And confess it with your mouth. When the scripture talks about being saved and the Holy Spirit becoming a part of our lives, it's one of the things we can't get around openly confessing, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I hope that if that's you today and you've never made that decision, that you'd make that today. Uh, feel free to reach out to me um, online if you'd like to do that later um, or in person. I'll be here afterwards. Uh, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we uh, come to you today. Uh, we thank you that you give us um, hope and uh, truth and love. We're thankful as we think about real faith. Um, we think about being the real deal. Uh, God, we would never... Um, I know most people in this room would never want someone to look at us and just say, I'm not sure if they're the real deal. Um, God, I just pray, not like those um, fake watches and glasses and things that you can get in other places. I pray that we would <clears throat> be people um, who, when, when everyone else looks at us, they would think, that's the real deal. Um, God, that uh, the faith that you've given us changes who we are, how we care about others, and uh, how we live our lives. Um, we know it matters how we live. pray that you'd uh, help us um, daily to do that, <clears throat> to not live under the weight of um, past grievances, things we've done that don't honor you. pray we can walk out today um, with confidence, knowing that we have uh, power, love, and self-control for this life, not fear. And uh, it's your name we pray. Amen. Love you, too.